And right around this time, on Tuesday mornings, we bring in Al Bat uh, for Birding with Bat. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. It's a, it's a beautiful day out there, maybe another perfect day. And uh, my attitude is great. My altitude, I just checked, is 1,289 feet. It's <laughs> amazing what all you can find on your cell phone anymore. <laughs> I, I want to thank everybody. Uh, I worked, uh, what was it, six, seven days at the Freeborn County Fair. And I appreciate all the, um, just a lot of people I talked to. And it was really fun seeing, you know, some people, it's the only time I see them during the years at the fair. And uh, I, I'd like to thank everybody coming to Merrill Frydendahl's funeral and uh, visitation. I visited with a lot of people there, and Merrill was such an important part of my life. He was my hero. And I have the little, uh, you know, I never know what to call these things that they give you at funerals, brochures, pamphlets, programs, whatever they are. But on the front is a picture of Merrill with binoculars and uh, carrying a big spotting scope. We got his birding cap on, and it says, I hope you had the time of your life. And uh, any time with Merrill was, was certainly that. And I'd also like to say, uh, we, I never knew Olivia Newton-John, but it's sad, her passing. But uh, a good friend of mine, Paul Leon, just died. And he worked at McMurdo Station in the Antarctic Research Station, and I believe that's Ross Island. So Paul had some stories to tell. I I visited the Mankato's Farmer's Market. What a wonderful thing. I was there on Saturday, and uh, oh, gosh, we got more stuff. You know, we'll be eating well into the winter, just on what my wife and I got that day. It was interesting, while we are there, a semi-tractor trailer rig turned down and tried to go through the middle of uh, the farmer's market, and about 15 people rushed out and stopped him, and he got out and wandered around. I bet his blood pressure was uh, sky high, and then he had to back out, and what a what a day he had. I, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, he texted in his resignation later that day. And lastly, um, get out and vote today. It's uh, We have primary election today, and then uh, so get out and vote. A lot of people have county commissioner and sheriffs and all these things that are going on. So um, get out and make your voice heard. Here, a morning dove called. Its voice, you know, it sounds sad and distant. I know it's not sad. It's just its call. But they always sound so much farther away than they really are. I have an eastern kingbird as I took the mail down. His name, Tyrannus Tyrannus. And he patrols the yard here. And anything that gets on his bad side, he dispatches them from the neighborhood. A chipmunk raided my grape jelly feeder, and he looked like a chipmunk clown with big red lips. At night, I'm enjoying hearing the sleigh bell-like sounds on a summer... I hear them on summer evenings, July to frost. They're snowy tree crickets. And if you're out there, uh, listen for something that sounds like sleigh bells. And they are perhaps best known as nature's thermometer because the rate of their chirping correlates with temperature. The formula, depending on whom you ask, is to count the number of chirps in 13 seconds. 
and then add 40 to find the temperature in degrees Fahrenheit. It, it, it's hard to do. In 13 seconds, I have to have my wife there with a stopwatch or something to tell me when I hit that. The insects get their name snowy because they have a pale coloration. I'm seeing uh, hoverflies or flowerflies. Uh, they're common and important natural enemies of aphids and other small, slow-moving insects. The adults resemble bees or wasps, and they're often seen visiting flowers, hovering over the flowers, or darting about. I'm seeing um, cicada killer wasps, these huge wasps. I love seeing them, and I had a chuckle when I saw them described as Satan's nightmares at a fair. Uh, Brian Smith of Sleepy Eye says, Al, I took a two-week summer session introduction to birding class taught by Dr. Freidendahl at Mankato State University in the early 1980s, and I learned a great deal. I have fond memories of the field trips our class took around Mankato. I'm very sorry to learn of his passing. Brad Balden of Wyndham. The Merrill was one of mine, my heroes, too. Last I remember seeing him was at Laguna Atascosa National Wildlife Refuge in February 2015, although I probably saw him since then. That one was just so unexpected as to be more memorable. And Queenan wrote about spending time with Merrill and me at St. Olaf Lake near New Richland. Uh, Pam Becker said, I love listening to your program on KMSU. It's always fun to hear about birds and critters of our neighborhood. Recently, you were talking about beetles used for dyeing. Cochineal beetles are very small red beetles that reside in Oaxaca and live on cactus pads. They are dried and ground into powder and create various shades of red dye depending on what mordants are used with a wool lemon juice, cream of tartar, etc. Yes, it's too bad none of our pesky beetles can be useful. Bryce Gaudian. Uh, Bryce is from Hayward, and he sent me a plethora of wonderful bird photos. He said he's having an epic year seeing new bird species, well over 100 new ones from birding trips to Colorado, Texas, Utah, and all the new ones that came through locally here in south-central Minnesota. Mark Salk of Truman sent me a, a you know, interesting I'd have to underline that and circle interesting photo. It was really cool. He had stepped on a cricket. because It's hard not to step on crickets. They're just everywhere. And he took a picture of it because a black parasitic worm, he said about half the size of the cricket, crawled out. And other than the fact that this was totally disgusting, what the heck is it? It's a horsehair worm, Mark. It's an internal parasite of crickets, adult Horsehair worms are free living in fresh water and damp soil. Parasitized crickets seek water because they become thirsty having this parasite inside them. And this behavior allows the horsehair worm to emerge from the insect's body and swim away in the water. Horsehair worms may squirm and twist in the water, knotting themselves into a loose ball-like shape resembling the Gordian knot, and another name for horsehair worm is the Gordian worm. Uh, these internal parasites of insects do not parasitize other animals or plants, so they're harmless. Uh, Ms. Lona, 
love Miss Lona. Uh, we talk every so often about Axel and his dog, which was important to a lot of kids around my age. Although we could not get that channel living out in the boondocks, I had seen some of it, and he would say things uh, from... Uh, he would change some of the words in something Robert Louis Stevenson wrote. And one of them that Ms. Lona sent was, Birding with a yellow bill hopped upon my windowsill, cocked his shining eye, and said, What's that on your shirt, Axel? Grease? So thanks, Lona. Harlan Thompson of Albert Lee saw a pileated woodpecker. Dale Grotson of Alden has a pond at his place. He has trumpeter swans with two signets in it. Jim Swenson of Albert Lee said at his class reunion, one of his classmates gave a little packet of milkweed seeds to everyone in attendance. Bill Gugisberg of Freeborn said he had a barred owl, a pair of barred owls nested in his yard. The folks at Green Lee Golf Course got a hold of me. They had a cattle egret there which is just really a cool bird to see around here. Uh, it was during the breeding season, so it was white, but it had kind of that brownish color, goldish color on it. They also have a Cooper's hawk. He told me on which, uh, which tee it was at, but I've forgotten. Uh, Jay Crabtree of Allendale sent me a lovely photo of a brown thrasher, and boy, the tail looks so long in that photo. Uh, good buddy Jack May said... What is mullen good for? A common mullen, if you drive around today, you'll recognize it has these tall flower spikes, which can be 10 feet tall. It has pretty yellow flowers, but only a few bloom at a time. It's called torch plant or flannel leaf. A couple of folk names have uh, even more intriguing associations. One is candlewick plant, and it was uh, refers to the old practice of using the dried down of mullen leaves and stems to make lamp wicks. And some say mullen stems once were dipped in tallow to make torches, either used by witches or to repel them. So maybe both, I don't know. Uh, common mullen was brought over from Europe by early settlers. It was used as a medicinal herb in the treatment of coughs and diarrhea. It's kind of an odd combination of things it treated there, but it was used as a respiratory stimulant for the lungs when smoked. And then there's a methanol extract from this plant has also been used as an insecticide for mosquito larvae. Quaker women weren't allowed to wear makeup, so they would rub the hairy leaves on their cheeks to create a homemade blush look, and hence another name for the plant, Quaker's Rouge. Uh, American goldfinches, indigo buntings, and there's a few other birds that will eat the mullen seeds. Many, many insects come to the mullen flowers for nectar, bumblebees, honeybees, and hoverflies help pollinate these plants. Uh, I, uh, my wife, I think, told Jack that if he had any holes in his shoes, he could use those big leaves to put them in his shoes to act like as Dr. Scholl's pads. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, it, I just got a text from somebody, and uh, I'm going to do what they asked. 
uh, I'll call it toot my own horn department. Um, thank you to the readers of the Elberly Tribune who voted me best writer. It's um, it was really nice. There's a lot of great writers out there, and I am humbled and and thankful. Uh, Vicky Laroon, uh, last week I talked a little bit about this. She's from Mankato. And she had asked for a good place to see sandhill cranes in southern Minnesota and wondered when the colts can fly. Sandhill cranes lay their eggs in April, and an incubation takes about a month. And then the colt takes its first flight when it's 65 to 75 days old. The young remain with their parents for 9 to 10 months, they accompany them in migration. There are three places that come galloping to my mind as good places to see them. Uh, two in Minnesota, one uh, not too terribly far away. The wetlands at Sherburn National Wildlife Refuge. It's a 30,700 and some acre refuge north of the Twin Cities. And uh, those wetlands provide prime habitat for 50 pairs of nesting sandhill cranes. And in September and October, thousands of cranes gather at that refuge before migrating. It's a great place to be in, in the fall. Thousands of greater sandhill cranes gather at Crex Meadows near Grantsburg, Wisconsin. I said there's two in, uh, I lied, there's one in Minnesota and two outside. Uh, Grantsburg isn't very far out. And in October and early November, Thousands of cranes gather there, and they feed in the crop fields during the day and roost in the sedge marshes at night. And the third place, the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, Wisconsin. It's the only place in the world where visitors can see all 15 species of cranes. And it's open from May 1st to October 31st, and if you go there, you will be uh, amazed, enlightened, and just, you'll just be a happy camper. Brian Rasmussen of Clarks Grove says, I haven't seen many toads this year. He wonders why. Toads watch the weather reports, and they pay particular attention to the temperature, wind speed, relative humidity, and the barometric pressure. Toads love to come out in the rain because they prefer a wet, dark environment. So after a steady rain, the area is usually cloudy, cool, and moist, the right conditions for a traveling toad. It's also a good time to find food as earthworms, and I would guess slugs too, are probably plentiful after a big rain, and water puddles can be refreshing for toads. They're like splash pads that all the cities are getting to pull for kids to play in. Toads would love those. In some areas, I would speculate that many of the small woodland ponds dried up this year because it was kind of dry, and then we had all that wind that just helped things dry that much quicker, and that might have led to fewer toads. But I will say toad populations are localized. I've talked to some people that have seen so many and some have seen so few. Annie Madsen of Albert Lee said, How many times does a robin nest? A robin may nest three times in one year. 
but only 40% of those nests successfully produce young, and only 25% of fledged young survive to November. Only about half of the robins alive in any year make it to the next year. The oldest robin, I think it lived to almost 14 years of age. But if you're a six-month-old robin, you're looking at 1.7 years to live. So the average robin lives a little over two years. Do deer have stomachs like cows? Um, They're a ruminant. So deer possess that four-compartment stomach uh, just like cows, only they're uh, considerably smaller than a cow's. And they chew their cuds just as cattle do. So, yes. Uh, Why do some eggs hatch at the same time and others don't? Yeah, it's in many birds, including most precocial species. And precocial, we've always heard about the kid is so precocious. Precocial species, for the most part, they're ready to go. As soon as they hatch, they want to hit the ground running. So most precocial species, incubation doesn't begin until that last egg has been laid, and it results in all the eggs hatching within a few hours. Uh, Precocial species is ducks, geese, chickens. They need to hit that ground to run in. Other birds begin their incubation prior to laying the last egg of the clutch. So this results in a synchronous hatching separated by anywhere from a few hours to several days. A synchronous hatching gives the first chicks a head start at attracting parental attention. A synchronous hatching is a parental strategy for raising the largest number of offspring that food resources would allow. And brood reduction by starvation sadly uh, routinely occurs in gulls and raptors. And it's common in birds as diverse as cormorants, herons, egrets, terns, and common grackles. And what happens is typically the younger ones just don't, uh, they can't get enough food to survive. So it's a sad thing, but it's one of the, the ways of nature. How can I tell if I have a house finch or a purple finch at my feeder? Well, if you have them now, I'm going to say you have a house finch. We get uh, purple finches here, but uh, not. I don't know where this person is uh, emailing from. Uh, in southern Minnesota here, it's a house finch. Uh, both females are brown and white, but the female purple finches have a well-defined white mark above each eye. The male house finch is reddish-orange, and the male purple finch is a reddish purple, looking as if it had been dipped in raspberry juice or wine. The male house finch has streaking on his breast and sides, so he's a brown bird with red or orange mixed in. The purple finch has kind of stripes. It's a purple bird with brown mixed in. So it, the male house finch, brown bird with red or orange mixed in. Purple finch male, a purple bird with brown mixed in. It sounds easy when you say it, but I know when you're looking at it, it's a little tougher. Uh, our, our class, 
I'm not sure what class, school, I'm guessing, was wondering, does a swan really sing before it dies? You know, we hear that all the time, don't we? The, The swan song. And it originates from the legend that swans are mute all their lives. They don't say a word or make a sound before singing beautifully and mournfully right before they die. It's a a great story, but it was known to be false as early as the days of ancient Rome when Pliny the Elder refuted it. The legend persisted. Why? I think poets, poetic imagery, proved to be more attractive than scientific evidence. Swan song is commonly used to refer to celebrated performers embarking on a farewell tour. I was just reading about uh, one of my favorite baseball teams, or my favorite baseball team, and one of their star players is uh, will be doing his swan song this year. He's just going through everything, and he's and then you all know what'll happen. He'll decide he's not going to retire. He's going to play next year anyway. So they get. Uh, I think some of them. I think some of the quarterbacks in the NFL get about four swan song years. They just keep retiring, get a new Corvette, and then they keep playing. So it's uh, it's a pretty good gig. I think uh, guys, when they get drafted, they should uh, say they're going to retire after that first year if they have some success. And they'll just be uh, getting all kinds of goodies. The same uh, same family that asked that swan song asked how many trumpeter swans are there in Minnesota. You know, I I have to say, wow, every time I say this, it estimated over 30,000 in the 17 and 1800s. uh, Swans were hunted for their meat, skins, and feathers. Swan habitat diminished as settlers moved across North America. And by the 1880s, trumpeter swans had disappeared from Minnesota completely. We had none. By the 1930s, only 69 trumpeter swans remained in the lower 48 states, living in the remote Red Rock Lakes area in Montana. In 1966, what is now Three Rivers Park District began experimenting with the reintroduction of trumpeter swans to Hennepin County's park reserves. Forty swans were secured from the Red Rock Lakes National Wildlife Refuge, but the initial efforts proved unsuccessful until the first release of young occurred in 1978 and the first successful nesting in 1979. The DNR's non-game wildlife program released 21 trumpeter swans in 1987 near Tamarack National Wildlife Refuge in Becker County and in 1988 five trumpeter swans were released at Swan Lake in Nicollet County. Yay! This lake is known by a Sioux name that translated to Lake of the Many Large Birds and where I just enjoyed the company of lovely swans. So it's a, a beautiful place to be. I'm so happy to see trumpeter swans with lovely uh, critters. One of the um, most beautiful things I saw were uh, standing along the Chilkat River in Alaska with my camera and it was so foggy and hazy, you couldn't see. Um, you, I couldn't see my feet, being a tall guy. It, but I could hear this 
sound coming, and suddenly it was two a pair of swans flying out of that mist and flew right over my head, and I could hear the the flap of their wings, but they were making no other sounds. And being a true uh, photographer, I, I didn't take a single picture because I was just so awed by their presence and their beauty. So they are uh, lovely birds to have, and I'm, I'm just so appreciative of all those good po- folks that help bring them back so that we might enjoy seeing them here there's so much beauty in the world uh, we hear about all the things that are going bad but uh, fortunately we can go outside and see all this beauty that is just uh, so breathtaking i hope everybody will just have the greatest day i hope this i don't want all your dreams come true today because that would kind of ruin it for the future but let's everybody get one big dream coming true today uh thanks for sitting on the front porch with Dwayne and me you know back when kid intelligence was just in its infancy they hadn't perfected it yet i came down with a raging case of fake hypochondria I was trying to pretend I was sick so I wouldn't have to school and then I re- I got really sick so I don't know if I wished it upon myself it was a it was a sad day my mother was off on some important mission somewhere so dad was left to deal with me and he had just a thing you know dads always do they got just a thing that'll cure you he made graveyard stew and I bet some of you have had that. It was milk toast. It was toast with a pad of butter in a bowl covered with warm milk. And he added cream, sugar, and cinnamon to get me to eat it. And it helped, I think. I'm still around. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Um, do something wild to get out there and look at a bird. Dwayne, thank you or your wonderful company. I appreciate you. It's always a treat to have you on the radio here on KMSU. Thank you so much, Al. Thanks. Bye-bye. That is Al Bat with us. Tuesdays right around 10 o'clock or so, birding with Bat and so much more. Some uh, great uh, great wisdom that we get to bestow upon us when Al's on, on the radio. Thank you, Al.